I don't really want to see myself like that. I don't want to look at that. So I'm going to turn away. And instead, if we can turn toward it, say, hey, can I be present with this? How do I be present with it in a way that where I don't um, become so discouraged that, that I kind of hate myself or think that I'm a failure or, you know, because then, then I'm just going to walk away from practice altogether, you know, like, wow, this is, you know, just give it up. So it's like, can I, can I be tender with myself in my practice? Can I be tender with seeing my mistakes? Can I be tender with um, how it is that seems like I'm not measuring up? Can I see the ways in which that connects me with, with others and the whole universe? So that it doesn't have to be about only me. Sosan Teresa Flynn is the current president of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association of North America. She is also the guiding teacher at Clouds in Water Zen Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. Sosan has studied and practiced Soto Zen Buddhism for the past 29 years, receiving Dharma transmission in 2012 from Joan Snyder O'Neill. While she teaches on many aspects of Zen Buddhism, her special interest is the intersection of Buddhist practice and racial justice. Sosan has a master's degree in counseling psychology from the University of St. Thomas and offers premarital and couples counseling from a Zen Buddhist perspective. Raised Catholic, she recently served on the Multi-Religious Fellows Advisory Board of the Collegeville Institute for Ecumenical and Cultural Research. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Quanam Online Sangha, a virtual Zen practice community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the online Sangha meditate together, study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to develop their practice. Listeners of this podcast are invited to try a free month of training, which includes live Q&A interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To access your free month of training, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. So, San, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I was really struck. I'd, I'd never really thought of this before, but I was listening to one of your talks and you were referring to a teacher that I was unfamiliar with, um, Dragon Fang, who you know the Chinese name, but you were using this, the English translation. And you were telling the story of what it's like. He'd given a response to a, um, a koan of like, and he, his answer was sticking out his neck. And the vulnerability of what it means to sort of kind of embody this practice. But for me, what I really, I'd never thought of this before, but, you know, each week I ask these teachers to come on and 
sort of share their story about how they, how they, I really am inviting them to stick out their neck. And I think sometimes some do and some don't. It's all, you know, it's just kind of all in the mix of like what happens. But I I hadn't really, until that happened, I hadn't really wrestled with the concept of all of what we're doing is, you know, sticking out our neck on some level. Like that's so much of the practice. So I don't know if you you can share that story a little bit because I think it's a good one. Okay, cool. Why don't we start there? All right. Yeah, so this story, just for people who are into the you know, looking up where things are from, uh, this is from case 20 of the Blue Cliff Record, uh, Lumia's meaning of coming from the West. And I'm not going to go into a big spiel about that, but just for people who are interested in looking it up later. But the story that Anne's referring to is actually from the commentary. And it's actually from when Lumia, or Dragon Pang, was um, meeting with one of his teachers. So he asked his teacher, Tayshan, how is it when a student holding a sharp sword tries to take the teacher's head? And then Tayshan stretched out his neck. So he just offered his neck, like in answer. So that's the word, sticking out your neck comes in. And it, it goes on, but I mean, to me, that's like the most meaningful part of the story is that moment where Deshaun as the teacher um, responds in this way. And so um, I guess I'm really interested in as a teacher and as a practitioner, how I can make myself vulnerable. Um, So the sticking out my neck might sometimes mean um, that I, I own up when I make a mistake. Um, in fact, recently I just gave a Dharma talk at Clouds and Water where I confessed to uh, unskillful behavior um, that had happened in a session a few months ago, and I just made a public apology and as a way for the Sangha to help hold me accountable to the kind of behavior that I aspire to. So, like, that's sticking out my neck. <laughs> um, I also feel like sometimes the uh, things that I might say in response to, say, police violence against black and brown people and taking a stand in that way feels like sticking out my neck because um, there's some women's practitioners who say, well, we shouldn't take a stand. We shouldn't take sides. We should just be open to everyone. And uh, I feel like, well, I can be open to everyone and still follow up behavior that is harmful, but it can feel like sticking on my neck. Um, yeah, so that's those are just some things that come up for me around that. I think there's many, probably many more nuances. It seems like that's helps that's helpful for people. Actually, also, you know, I get the feedback. I mean, I'm not not doing it for accolades. Like when I gave this Dharma talk about your big mistake I made, and then afterwards I said. I, I would like to invite people to respond, but I don't want you to say what a great teacher you are because you were, you know, you said you made a mistake, but that's not the point. The point is that let's try to be real together. So anyway. Yeah, and I, I guess that's really what struck me about the story from the Blue Cliff record or the commentary is like, 
you know, sometimes we talk about the intimacy of the practice or, you know, what we're going for in terms of our relationship to, you know, the, the great don't know of it all, like whatever this is, right? The great intimacy. And I think the, I don't actually hear so much conversation about um, the vulnerability and the trust that also is embedded in the practice. If, you know, it, there's a possibility for that. There was a, you know, there was a show I did with Mitra Bishop Roshi a million years ago. And um, she said, what is there to defend? And I, it hit me in a way that I have had, ha I can't remember being hit in that way about it before. I was like, yeah, what is there to defend? And yet we do that so much. Mm -hmm. Especially when we're like dancing around with like, what do these koans mean? Or like, you know, when we go to see a teacher, we don't want to feel stupid. Like all of these things. <laughs> it's so hard to stick out your neck, I think, in the practice. And yet it's what's inviting, you know, we're being invited truly. I don't know if there's a question that you're <laughs> I'm just like throwing it back at you, but I don't know what the. Yeah, I had something at some point, but I lost it. Let's see if I can get it back. Oh, it's about um, that. What is there to defend? And yet this defense like comes up, you know, again and again for all of us. I mean, not just for students, it comes up for teachers as well. And. Sometimes the defense comes up around, again, I'm thinking about like, you know, in the realm of racial justice or social justice. So like something happens, like uh, uh, the insurrection at the Capitol by the white supremacists. And then there's a sense of, okay, um, I need to say something about that. Um, and the question is, can I say it? You know, standing up firmly for what I think is right um, and what seems like would be support of non-harm, while at the same time not coming from a place of fence, not coming from a place of needing to make me right and the other people wrong, but rather from a place of kind of seeing the whole picture and then like calling out specific behavior. And it can be like a subtle difference. Um, and it's not just in the political realm, too, because it also comes up in, you know, the Dharma realm as well. You know, like things that happen at Dharma centers that might be unskillful. And then, <laughs> I, you know, what can I do to, um, to call it out, but from a place of non-offensiveness? Or if someone calls me out, and maybe they falsely accuse me. Yeah. Or maybe not. But let's just say, let's just say it, it felt like a false accusation. Well... How can I stand up for myself and yet not, not from a defended place, but just from, uh, from that place of openness and intimacy? It's challenging. Yeah, and even when we are at fault, like it's... <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, right, yes. Yeah, even more so maybe. Right, because <laughs> we still get locked into... Uh... I, but I deserve to do it that way anyway. Yeah, right, right, right. 
I think also the thing that I like about that story or, or the way that you tell the story, right, is that some of it's coming from the, it's coming from the teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, I think in that part, it's, it's a modeling, right? What, like, what's the answer? Well, it's also like, there's just a way to live. Mm-hmm. And that all of us, I guess, on some level are teachers for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that when we are a teacher, that's where it's especially important that we consider how can I stick out? How can I make myself vulnerable in a way that's helpful? In a way that's helpful. Yeah, exactly. When when we're students, you know, or when we're in a kind of power down situation, like someone else has power over us in the structure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we can stick out our necks as well, but it's like that is not, I don't actually encourage that in the same way because students need to come into their own power. And, you know, a lot of the work I do with my students is how can you, um, Trust your own intuition. How can you find your own path? It's not about me telling them what to do. It's about me maybe just providing a um, reflection so that they can see what it is that they know internally what they need to do. So, but yeah, the, the teacher sticking out the neck and then in a way that's helpful is the other piece. And what I one thing that I've learned kind of the hard way is that sometimes Sometimes as a teacher, I have to be very careful about um, what I'm sharing in terms of uh, being intimate with my own process. And one thing I've discovered is that if I haven't um, cooked enough with something that's going on with me, if I haven't really, like, not that I have to 100% integrate and process it, but if I haven't processed it fully enough, and then I share it with students or a student, um, then it can get kind of messy. Like the student can be in a position where they're feeling like they need to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I share something unskillfully in a way that I didn't, I wasn't really considering the impact of that on the student. Um, so, so then it works out to not be helpful and to actually be harmful. So that's something also, I think it's important for teachers or anyone when you're in a situation of having, being in the power of position, being, having more power over someone to be careful and to watch for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also the, I'm not sure that the modeling of, well, I think there's healthy vulnerability and unhealthy vulnerability. and um, But it's like, I, I think on some places, just um, even in the sort of gender dynamics of how teachers fall out, there's, uh, you know, just how that plays out between male teachers and and uh, female teachers is like, well, the re- the response is often different in terms of like what we're expected in terms of our vulnerability and and also how we model healthy ones. But it's uh, I don't know. I feel like we're also in this unique time in a in the United States when we're starting to have a lot of conversations about power. I mean, they've been here for a while, but I don't know, something feels a little different. I'm not sure how, you know, I think it's a little unknown, some of the territory that we're entering into. People have, you know, coined this term, the cancel culture and stuff like that. And um, 
there's this part of me that sees it from both sides, you know, that, um, but it's, uh, it's an interesting time just to watch people in power and what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to be responsible. Yeah. For, for me also, it's like taking my Zen practice of really noticing what's arising and mm -hmm. noticing, paying attention to like what is happening in this moment mm -hmm. and bringing that, bringing that into the realm of the power dynamic as well. So mm -hmm. that like for me as a white person, realizing that just by nature of the fact that I'm white in this cultural context means that automatically I have a power, I'm in a power up position in um, relation to non-white people, in relation to black, brown, Asian, in, in relation to people of color, or people of culture. And that just by my being, my mere presence, no matter how good of a person I am, no matter how much racial justice work I've done, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it can be helpful, but it's sort of behind, beside the point, it's like, I have to recognize that I have this, you know, status. And then also for, you know, for whatever, men need to realize that no matter who you are, just by virtue of being a man in relation to women, you have a power out. And then all the different, things, you know, if, you're, if you have more wealth or, you know, whatever the ways of privilege to just, um, and not to go in a shame spiral about it or anything like that, but just to say, okay, acknowledge, I realize this is going on and then breathe with it, mm -hmm. be with it. And then, you know, open, you know, keep your mind very open to the vastness of the whole context in which that appears. And then go forward with what is what we um, perceive to be the most skillful action. So that I'm just really interested in how that dynamic plays out in terms of how, how we can actually use that Zen practice or Buddhist practice of paying attention, breathing, being with what is. And then we can, if we bring that to the situation, uh, then there's the possibility of really something um, shifting, something different happening that, you know, instead of just playing out the usual ways that, they, that these things play out where harms continue to be caused. And I guess I, for me, that's where that power of that, what is there to defend, just sort of overwhelmed me because it was like, oh, right, if I, if I really can be with that, like all the way through, then when those situations arise and people are like, you acted like this white man. <laughs> <laughs> which is gonna i mean it's happened and it's gonna happen again like there's i'm not a, a fool to think that it's never gonna happen again um that it's okay that i can be in both of those spaces right of like oh this hurts personally because that's uh, it hurts just to hear that i've you know hurt somebody but also okay well what is there to defend and maybe there's some from that place i can be helpful you know the sticking out of the neck like for whatever that looks like at that point yeah but the first i think the realizing like where where we're at and mm -hmm. either just by virtue of who we are that we're going to potentially cause harm or maybe something that we did mm -hmm. was harmful and i think this is 
this is to me really a lot of what the um, kind of the courage around Zen practice is. Um, because when we really start looking deeply, then we start kind of seeing more and more the ways that we're so-called messing up. Mm-hmm. We see more and more the ways that we're causing harm or that we're being unskillful or, you know, whatever it is. And then our natural inclination is usually like, I don't really want to see myself like that. I don't want to look at that. So I'm going to turn away. I'm going to find a way to distract myself so I don't have to see it. And instead, if we can turn toward it and say, okay, can I be present with this? How do I be present with it in a way that where I don't um, become so discouraged that that I kind of hate myself or think that I'm a failure or, you know, because then then I'm just going to walk away from practice altogether, you know, like, wow, this is, you know, just give it up. So it's like, can I, can I be tender with myself in my practice? Can I be tender with seeing my mistakes? Can I be tender with um, how it is that seems like I'm not measuring up? Can I see the ways in which that connects me with, with others and the whole universe so that it doesn't have to be about only me? And then if it's not about only me, then yeah, then that's where the, there's nothing to defend. Mm-hmm. And if it's not only about me, then it's no problem for me to stick out my neck. Because it's like the whole universe is supporting me in that activity. So it can actually be joyful. It's not like, oh, you know, it, it hit me. <laughs> it's, it's more like just, yeah, let's be in this dance together. And, you know, I you hit on something that I think people who, well, I'll just speak for myself, but I, I think it's co- common that when you've practiced for a while, you come up against this wall of just like, Ugh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of looking at this. I'm tired, you know, like <laughs> the, you can almost enter in, into a nihilism, right? Of just, oh. And maybe, maybe you have to do that. Maybe, maybe you have to do it multiple times uh, over the practice. And um, somebody just sent me this article um, that uh, I'm going to get all of the, I don't have it in front of me. I'm probably going to get all, all of the details wrong. But it was uh, essentially the premise of the article was these people had conducted a, an experiment and they just stuck people in a room. And you can either just sit there or you could sit there and give yourself electric shocks. Mm-hmm. And people, it actually was more men than women, people chose to give themselves electric shocks more than just sitting with their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And on one mm-hmm. level, we're just like, holy cow, why would you ever do that? <laughs> And then on another level, I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. I totally, because the mind, whew, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. And yet this is like the whole point of the practice. <laughs> you know, just through this, whatever this is. Yeah, so how can we be with just um, letting that thought arise or that sensation or feeling or whatever? And then breathing, being with it, letting it go. How can we? How can we cultivate that 
you know, rather than, I mean, usually what comes up is that, you know, you don't like our thoughts or, you know, they're boring or, or, or we're having some terrible memory that we don't want to revisit. Um, so, and again, it just kind of comes back to, can we, is there a way we can receive it in a much bigger context? So um, one thing that uh, my teacher, Joanne Schneider-O'Neill, uh, would say to me a lot was, remember when you're sitting, uh, you're never sitting by yourself or for yourself. You're always sitting with all beings and for all beings. And that's so helpful to me because that takes it out of this context of me trying to get something while I'm sitting or um, thinking that you know I alone have to accomplish something. It's like it's not about me. I mean, it is about, but it's not only about. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, and I was sort of thinking about this earlier when you were talking about the, the sort of issues of, of oppression and justice. That, you know, I think sometimes people come to the practice and they're just like, I just want to get out of, there's a fantasy about what the, the practice is going to do. It's going to be some sort of transcended experience. And I think sometimes when we get into that space of like, oh, it's for all beings, like it becomes very abstract. Like I, I believe in it, right? I believe in everything that you just said, because also if if it's just for me, if it's just me on my cushion trying to figure out whatever this craziness is, it's called Ian. Um, that's really, ugh. I, well, one, it's super boring anyway. <laughs> like, oh, look at me, I'm angry again. Oh, <laughs> surprise! I know this so well. Um, or, you know, whatever, I'm a failure at work, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yet, how does it not become abstract? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So for me, that's where the kind of remembering that in addition to, in addition to the sitting with all beings and for all beings, I'm also sitting for myself. Mm -hmm. And self-compassion can come in. because. If I'm sitting for myself, but like together with all beings, then there's a way in which I can sit with whatever, you know, anger again or feeling like I'm a failure again, whatever the thing that, you know, is like favorite thing right. that's coming up. Um, that I can, I can be with that, you know, almost as if it's a mother, you know, just holding a child. Like I can sort of, at the same time that I'm at, crying baby, <laughs> you know, so frustrated with what's going on in my practice or what I think is going on in my practice. At the same time, I can remember that, oh, there's a connection to just holding this. Um, and, and I've really gotten uh, into lately Tara Brock's brain practice, the compassion, self-compassion, where you recognize, allow, investigate in the body and then nurture, what do I need? nurture um, because I think we need to kind of have the opportunity to actually find some ease and peace in ourselves, not in an abstract way, but in a very particular way. Like, what is it that I need right now? And I'll even say, like, you know, if, if we're struggling, because usually in Zen, it's like, oh, I have to sit really still. Mm -hmm. That's one of the forms is that you sit still. And that sitting still then allows you to see what it's like to just be with whatever's arising and not always be reacting. So I'm 
I love the, the form of sitting still, but I noticed, especially in the pandemic, with us being on Zoom and not connected to each other, and then somehow not connected to ourselves, that sometimes we need to move. So I'll say to students, you know, if you're, especially if you're working with this brain practice, self-compassion, and you feel like, oh, I just really need to put my hand on my heart, or I feel really feel like I need, like, feel like someone's hugging me, that I just go ahead and move, you know, turn mm. the camera off if you're meditating on Zoom and don't want to distract people, but go ahead and put your hand, go ahead and like give yourself a hug, go ahead and just give a big sigh or, you know, let your head drop down before you come back to your sitting pose. Just let your body, you know, sort of find its wisdom around that and what you need to for self-nurturing. I think it's important. You know, it's so funny, like, I don't know maybe half of the last like 10 teachers that I've talked to, you know, and this is a Zen Buddhist podcast. Like we, I talked to Zen teachers. I'm a Zen practitioner. Uh, and I've sat Vipassana retreats, insight retreats and other, other sort of Theravadan tradition. I, there are so many teachers now, Zen teachers who, you know, and I think a lot of them that I interview are in the Japanese style, which, you know, I'm in this Korean tradition. And I just look at the Japanese. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are so formal. Um, <laughs> and yet there's this kind of draw or, you know, in the way that you, at some point the Christians became very ecumenical and they just started borrowing stuff from each other all over the place. Whereas, you know, before it was, you know, you just didn't do that. Now I, I'm seeing this quite a lot. I, you know, I don't really talk to a lot of, you know, the Theravadan or the Vipassana or Insight people. So I don't know if they're taking a lot of Zen stuff. I, but, but I do hear that very often now. And I'm wondering, I don't know, I, what do you think is happening? I don't know what that's, why. I think we're, you know, just opening to like skillful means. It's like whatever yeah. wisdom is there, let's let's go ahead and be open. And I remember sort of earlier in my Zen career being sort of warned against um, watering down the tradition by bringing in, you know, different elements. Um, but I think there's a way in which, I mean, and it, you see it in the, in the Christian churches too. There's a way in which people can be very upright and, and true to the essence of their own, you know, root religion while at the same time, you know, letting it be ventilated and, you know, and nourished by these other threads coming in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just and it, interesting. You're the president of the Soto, <laughs> Soto <laughs> you know, tradition here in the United States or one of these sort of associations. And uh, you're like, yeah, do the rain practice. Tara Brock, she's awesome. And she is awesome. I think she's an amazing teacher. Uh, but it's just, um, I don't know. I just sort of had noticed that, like, that, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the Mahayana tradition. I I appreciate the vow and the sitting really for all beings. Sort of the aspiration in 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 emptiness. Um and anyways, I just have kind of noticed that recently. I don't know why where that came from, but I just uh I don't know if it has to do with the pandemic and the isolation that something in that those practices are just what people need more right now. 
I think maybe especially that, but I mean, I don't think it's only that, but mm -hmm. I do notice that um, I really miss sitting in a room with other people and breathing with them. You know, it so, so it's much. like, even if we're not moving, when we're in the same room and we're sitting next to people, the energy that's, you know, that's present so much more than, you know, there's just a fraction of it on Zoom. And so I think when we're on Zoom or whatever media platforms we're using to um, be together virtually in meditation, virtual rooms, um, yeah, it's like that sitting still doesn't convey the presence. So I even, you know, will, you know, tell people like, oh, please, when you're in meetings or classes, use your hands more than you usually would. Mm. And like move around more. And if you like, if you something is funny and you're laughing, pull your head forward and laugh. You know, like really show it more because people need that. <laughs> we need that human connection. So yeah, the forms are a little bit shifting, in the but maybe you know, maybe they're also shifting after the pandemic. We'll see. Yeah, I feel like I do want to put in a bit of a plug though for the zen forms <laughs> yeah no do about um and just the story that i can tell is about for me why part of why i what drew me to being a zen priest um because you know you can practice zen without being a priest and there's still a lot of forms you know there's the sitting still there's the ceremonies there's the shen you know, retreat practice um uh there's service positions you know like the head cook or you know, the, the, you know, the temple coordinator, you know, so there's all, all these different um, ways in which you engage the practice. Um, priest practice is a particular form because you put on the robes, you have to put them on a certain way. Um, and then also people, you know, look to you as an example, because you look different, you're wearing these robes. And I somehow knew that um, I needed more help. I felt like I needed more help than the average person. Whether that's true or not, we'll just set that aside. But anyway, in the time, that was my feeling. Like if I had other reasons that I was interested in being a priest, like actually from a child, even though I was raised Catholic, I thought, oh, being a priest would be you know, what I want to do. And then I was like, well, no, you can't do that. <laughs> church. But I just felt drawn to somehow a deep spiritual practice and then to be able to share that with others in a way that was helpful. So I was. That was part of my motivation, but really another strong part was the feeling like, if I go on this path and put on these roles, I will be held accountable to the kind of life and behavior that I aspire to. So with the form itself of putting on the roles and being in, the, in that position would help me. And it has, I mean, but it hasn't always been easy, but... So I think that's true of priests, but it's also true of any of the Zen forms that are, you know, seem so formal and sometimes seem stiff or rigid. But um, sometimes what they can do is help us to, you know, like, for example, sitting still and being present with what arises rather than running away. Even if the running away was just to scratch an itch on our nose, you know, like, what would it be like to just be with it instead? Um, so those forms can help us. And, and for me, like I said, I, people tend to hold, you know, like, oh, she's this great teacher president blah blah guiding teacher you know but it's like yeah but i just i need as much help as everyone else not more <laughs> that's one of the reasons i'm in these roles 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Sosan Teresa Flynn encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more by visiting the website for the Clouds in Water Zen Center at cloudsinwater.org. She also has an essay in Zen Teachings in Challenging Times, and these are challenging times, so you might want to check out that book as well. I'll include a link to the Zen Center and to the book in the show notes. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quantum Online Sangha. Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are invited to try a free month of training with the Online Sangha. To access your free month, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast. It helps introduce us to new listeners. I am your host, Ian White-Marr, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.